Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. I'm going to have you just stay seated for a little bit. I'm, I want to just talk with you for a little bit tonight. I remember a, a story that I heard some time ago. It was about three blind men that were brought into a room and a person asked each one of them to describe the animal that was standing in front of them. And they, they were to go up there and, and feel the animal and, and then from what they felt, because they couldn't see, tell the person there what they thought the animal was like. Well, it was an elephant. The first blind man went up and he, he grabbed the trunk of the elephant and he said, you know, the elephant is like a snake. And he says, okay. And the other gentleman came up and he got a hold of the leg of the elephant and he says, oh, the elephant, he's not like a snake. He's like a tree, strong and round. He says, okay. And the third gentleman came up and he touched the body of the elephant. And he said, well, the elephant isn't like a snake and it isn't like a tree. It's like a house. It's so big. They were all right, but they were all looking at it from their own perspective. And one of the things that we do in our lives that hinder us the most are look at what we're going through from our single perspective. Not not only are we part of a universal body called the church who's fitly framed together, but we all are intricately designed for a specific purpose. Now, sometimes we go through things in our life that we don't understand because of our perspective from our view. I remember, and my brother's here tonight, um, can you remember that when we lived at home, mother liked to change rooms every week? We'd come home from school at the end of the day and the furniture would be moved all around and then all of a sudden our rooms would be in a different room. I think we moved to every room in the house with our bedroom. You know, we'd, we'd come home and it was changed. And each room had a window. And if you were to go to the window in the room that you were staying at, your perspective would change continually because the view changed all the time. And so... It all depended where your window was located on what you saw. Now, I, I, there's a number of cases. I could, I could stand here tonight and share a lot of different stories from Scripture where people had to change the room. And the perspective was, um, how do I say it? disconcerting to the individual because they had been used to one view but now God had brought them into another room in his house and the view was completely different. Let me give you an example. 
John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus. The Bible says that when Mary um, came to her cousin, or was her aunt, that the baby leaped in her womb. John leaped in her, uh, in his mother's womb. And it says he was uh, filled with the Holy Ghost from birth. In other words, from the very time of his conception to the time that he was born to his ministry, God was moving and working in that young lad. His ministry was powerful. His ministry was anointed. He was in the center of the action. He saw God changing the hearts of many people. He baptized many people with the baptism of repentance. But there came a day when his perspective and his room was changed. He was fearless. When you're anointed with the presence of God, you become fearless because you have an anointing of power and authority. But John was arrested. It seems that Herod had taken his brother's uh, wife unto himself and John called him out on it and he was cast into jail. And there he was locked up behind bars looking out the windows of confinement. Now remember, John was a man of the field. His food was locust and honey. He was robed with camel skins. He was certainly designed to be outside, but now he's in confinement. He's expecting something to happen. Certainly, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, who I endorsed, not only endorsed, but introduced at the Jordan, certainly God sees that I'm more valuable outside of the prison than I am in the prison. It only makes sense. You don't put something that's very useful for the kingdom of God in a box. But here he was confined. And it was all right for a little while, but all of a sudden, the doubts started to enter into his thought process. And the questions started to assail him as to why God would not intervene on his part when he was specifically designed and called by God for a purpose. He didn't see any purpose in prison. And in Matthew, the 11th chapter, verse 11, it says um, that John sent messengers to, to Jesus. Now, sometimes in Scripture, we only see a snapshot of what's taking place. There must have been some discussion between John and his disciples as to why things were the way they were. Why wouldn't the Messiah, who has all power, who is the Son of God or God in flesh, why wouldn't he deliver him? Well, maybe he's not. You can almost see the devil whispering in his ear. Maybe he's not the Messiah. Maybe he's just a good guy. So he gathers his disciples together and sends two of them out. I want you to go to Jesus, he said, and I want you to ask him point blank, are you the one or should we look for another? Because I'm a little concerned that if you were the one that you're not 
standing up for your own. I'm, I'm the foreigner of Christ. I, I played a role. Why aren't you by my side? Now Jesus answered the two disciples with this statement. Because he realizes John is looking at what is going on from a very narrow, confined perspective. It says, now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his disciples that he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, this is what I want you to do. Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. Tell him what you see from your perspective. Not from the perspective of the jail, but from the perspective of the ministry that I'm performing. Tell him what you hear and see. The blind see, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed, now notice he says this at the end, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. He is telling him to go back and look at the Old Testament. I am fulfilling exactly what the Old Testament said would happen. But tell them that you're, you're seeing it with your own eyes. You're hearing it with your own ears. But then he adds that last statement. Blessed is he who's not offended in me. See, when you're in your own little room, and you've got a very narrow perspective, and you're facing confinement, whether it be a job loss, or whether it be a, a dormant spot in your ministry, or a change in your life, sometimes your perspective becomes very narrow. That's when we need to get together with the body of Christ so we can hear them say what they see from their window. Because you're not always going to have the same view. There's going to be days that you're going to see blackness and darkness of night and storms. Some days you'll see clear skies and, and warm winds. But don't become offended because of the situation that you find yourself in today. John was looking out his window and all he could see was darkness. All he could see was impending death. And he did die. He was beheaded. That's all he could think about. That's all he could see. But just remember, every day your view of God changes. But this, like the sun, Jesus never changes. It's always the same. You're always going to have seasons in your life. You're going to have periods of darkness, periods of light. The weather will be different every other day, especially if in Wisconsin. But remember that God does not change. 
even though your view changes. I was uh, looking at Acts, the 23rd chapter. Here's another guy. Um, I, I believe this character in the New Testament is probably the most noteworthy character, matter of fact, of all of the New Testament. One that had more of an effect outside of Christ than any other person. And I don't need you to guess who that is. It's Paul. Paul came in and had a very powerful ministry. He was an asset to the early church. He helped turn the known world upside down. But something happened in his life where this preacher that had power and authority all of a sudden was taken out of the role that he was in and placed in confinement. Acts 23, verse 10. And when there arose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. Paul had been accused of doing something that he did not do. And now he's all these false accusations and his death is on the minds and the lips of everyone close by. While he was in prison, this verse 11 says this, but the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. Now, let me tell you something about Paul. You can read it in the New Testament. Three missionary journeys. He was a traveler. He was an evangelist. Not only was he an apostle, but he went from city to city to city to city. The worst thing that you could do to Paul is to put him in a box, to confine him. But the Lord looks and comes and appears by Paul's side, and he says, be of good cheer. Well, he said that because he wasn't of good cheer. He said, I want you to be of good cheer because you may feel that your life is not going to be as effective now as it was at previous points, but I am going to use you in a way now that you never would imagine that you would be used. I'm going to send you back to Rome. And you're going to have a ministry at the very hub of the known world. Now when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Now there were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy. I mean, he was in fear of his life. But something happened that night. And I, I want to share this with you. When the Lord, even though your, your situation may look bleak, and even though you're in a place where you are not free to move effectively or as you were accustomed to move, I want to tell you, if the Lord stands by you, 
you can rest assured that he'll give you peace and he'll still give you sovereign power, his power and authority. Because, you know, you know when I, I think of Psalm 40 and 8. There was something about Paul. He was completely devoted to his ministry. He, when it came to marriage, he had no desire for women because his ministry was more important than anything else. And Psalm 40 and 8 seems to put it really well. It, it would describe Paul very well. It says, I delight to do your will, oh my God. I, I find that word will used by Jesus before the cross. See, it was our will can differ from God's will. But in the heart of a Christian, the Christian delights to do God's will, even if that will leads him into a valley of tribulation or trial or even of loneliness. Your law is within my heart. I delight to do your will, oh my God. And Jesus said, not my will be done, but thine be done. Can we say that ourselves when our lives change in such a way that it's no longer pleasurable, but it's more of an enduring test that we can say, Lord, I know I am in your will, so I will delight to do your will. I want to read something to you from um, Philippians, the first chapter. Paul's writing this, of course. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace, peace to you from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Did you pick that up? If he has began a work in you, he will bring it on to completion. He will bring it on to completion. It is right for me to feel this way about you, all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Notice what he says. Whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming, no matter what situation I am, as long as I am doing the will of God, I will do it with all joy 
And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. I like that. We have to stop there. Not only in knowledge, but insight. How do you get insight? You get sight by getting in. In sight. He says, I want you to have the insight that can only come through the experience of the jail or of the prison so that you may be able to, to, to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Now, notice what he says next in verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Now, he didn't say that what happened to him was an advantage to him and that it was pleasing to him or that he was happy with it. What he said was, what I am going through has advanced the gospel and that's what it's all about. It's all about advancing the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout all the palace, guard, and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. The chains became a witness. The chains became a part of the sermon that he lived. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So what is he saying? I hate the chains. I hate the confinement. I'm not happy with the situation, but I do find that my confinement has advanced the gospel and encouraged the brethren and affected those that live in the palace. So I believe that it's beneficial. Not so much for me, but for you and for those that will hear the message. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord. Do you know that when you're going through a trial and you're able to maintain a level plane of faith, that you provide confidence to people that are going to face their own trials? That when you are stable amidst turmoil, your witness provides that same stability like a seed in the heart of those that behold you? And Paul's saying it's worth it all just because of the stability that others are getting through my life. So that you can proclaim the gospel without fear. I am sure that Paul, when he first started, never thought he'd end up in prison. When the Lord said he was going to send him to Rome, I'm sure that Paul pictured himself as a Roman preaching in some of the halls that he'd visited as a youth or had been educated in. Maybe he pictured himself in a lecture hall. Maybe he pictured himself in an assembly. 
but I'm sure he never really pictured himself in a prison cell, writing four, three or four of his books from a prison cell, most of his ministry in confinement. He thought he'd stand before Caesar and preach before the Senate of Rome and see great numbers of Romans converted. But he was laying the foundation. His life was setting the, the stage for a revival that was going to sweep through all of Rome. Let me give you one more, maybe just one more. Back in Daniel 6, and I'm going to actually go a little backward here, we find that uh, Daniel is under the Medo-Persian Empire. Belshazzar, the predecessor of the three Hebrew children, that kingdom has fallen, and the Medes and the Persians have conquered Babylon. And now here is Daniel, who's been engrafted into this new government. He's give, been given authority in the Medo-Persian Empire. And there are those that are very jealous of that. And they are determined to bring Daniel down by any means that they can. Now, I, I, w I was looking at this and I was thinking about our society today. There's just something about a Christian that bothers people, unbelievers. Especially, especially people in immorality. You don't even need to say anything. Your lifestyle, the way you walk, the way you talk, aggravates them. So they try to find a way to come against the way that you live. And in Daniel's case, they saw that he prayed three times a day. He was a prayer warrior. So they thought, we're going to attack him in the thing that bothers us the most, we're going to get them, the Persian king, emperor, to pass a decree that says no one can pray except to him for a period of time. They knew that Daniel was not going to stop praying. That Daniel's allegiance was first to God. And, they, and Daniel did continue to pray and Unfortunately, the King Darius had no other th thing that he could do except to imprison Paul and cast him into a den of lions. So the king gave command in Daniel 6, verse 16, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet of the Lord's that the purpose concerning Daniel might, be, might not be changed. Daniel, all he did was be consistent. And here he was, chucked into a little hole in the ground, confined again. Notice the confinement. He's, he's in a small space with a lot of hungry lions, and it's 
Not a place that someone would want to be. And guess who met him in the den of lions? The angel of the Lord. It's almost like the three Hebrew children. We may talk about that a little bit too. God met him in the midst of his trial. Just like he met Paul in prison. Just like he met Peter and sent an angel into the prison where Peter was. You want to meet God in a very personal way? You'll probably meet him in the prison of your trial. That's where he always seems to pop up. It's always where he starts to put his arm around your shoulder and said, be of good cheer. Be not afraid. I'm with you. So when he's in, in the lion's den, he notices that there's something more than just hungry lions because when uh, the king comes back and opens up the stone, he says, hey, listen, the Lord has sent his angel and shut the mouth of the lions. You know, the king was really happy about that because anybody in leadership that has someone that has high morality and a high standard values that in leadership. Now, he, he, could have, um, he could have recanted at any time and said, hey, listen, I don't want to go in the lion's den. But you know, he knew something that we should know. God is greater than any trial we'll ever be able to face. And that he will give us what we need, what is sufficient to overcome the obstacle. Now, if you're one of those people that's always doing an inventory, if you're a numbers cruncher and you're always trying to figure out what's going to happen tomorrow, you're going to drive yourself nuts because God acts in his own way and after his own time and in his own means. That's what faith is all about. Faith and trust and hope and long-suffering. All those things come into play. Do I really... Trust him. Well, I don't know about you too, but I, it's easy for us to say we trust him when we're out in an open field on a sunny day. But what happens when you're confined by sickness or disease, locked into those situations where you cannot move and you have no power over what you're going through? Can you trust him there. I want to go back to Daniel, the sixth chapter. Daniel six. Verse 13. 
So they answered and said before the king that Daniel, who is one of the captains from Judah, does not show you due regard. O king of the decree that you have signed. Let me go down a little further. We've talked about that. Uh, so they gave, the king gave the command and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, your God whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Then a stone was brought. I know I'm being redundant, but I want to just rehearse this one more time before I finish the end. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet of his lords that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. See, God's moving in the palace while Daniel's in the lion's den. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, is your God whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den And so Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. And the the king gave the command and they brought those men who had accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, their wives. And the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. Now, notice this. If Daniel's going to ask himself, was it worth it? This will answer his question. You may only see your small part in the trial, but there's always an afterglow. It says, then King Darius wrote, notice what he writes, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. The afterglow is this. Praise comes from the lips of those that meant the harm. Darius threw him into the pit But now Darius, after the deliverance, brings Daniel out of his confinement and he begins to worship and praise God. Now Daniel, was it worth it? Was it worth the confinement? Was it worth the trepidation 
and anxiety that you must have felt as they threw you into that pit and they sealed the door. And I ask you this question in closing tonight. In any of the trials that you've ever experienced in your life, and write them all down and put them on a piece of paper, maybe in a lot of pieces of paper, ask yourself if there wasn't an afterglow or there was not some glory given through the trial of your faith. And were you better off after the trial than were you before, than you were before? Are you more of a Christian now going through the pit? And I think we'll all agree that God has his way in the whirlwind. He has his way in our trials. And that's why the Bible says that we should give thanks in everything, in every trial, in every situation. Because not only are we changing, but we are encouraging others like Paul did in Rome. He said, many others now because of my trial are not afraid to proclaim the faith. All things work together for the good of those that love God to them who are called according to what? His purpose. See, I, when I came to God and I bent my knee down to him, I gave myself away. I said to him, I want to be a bondservant. You've set me free from sin, Lord. And I could go my own way, but I want you to take the all of your love and I want you to pierce it through my ear to the doorpost of the house of God because I want everyone to know that from here on in, I am still a servant but I am a servant by choice. And a servant doesn't have all the rights. So God can do with his property what he wants to do. But the difference between, that, that gives me assurance is this, that he loves me. Hey, hey I gotta tell you a secret. God loves me. He really does. He, he really loves me. And you need to say that to yourself sometimes when you look in the mirror. God loves me. And my capacity for love is not greater than God's capacity. If I love someone or something, I will do whatever I can within my power to protect it. Do you think that you have more love than the essence of God who is love, his essence is love? If God loves you, you can rest assured that his affections are on you. And when the time comes, he'll pull you out of the pit and you'll have a testimony that will turn the heads of those that hear it. My problem, maybe your problem, is sometimes I have to pinch my lips together because I become a little negative. And I have to learn to endure all things. You know, some people have that philosophy that living for God is going to be the greatest uh, blessing as far as finance and health and wealth and, 
you're never going to have a problem again. But that doesn't seem to fit in with what Jesus said. He says, he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Endurance means I'm doing something that, that's, that's causing me a struggle. I'm enduring something. But God takes pleasure. You know, I've been reading in my bread. I started a little later, so I'm probably in, in numbers now. And the Lord is talking, Moses is talking to Israel, and he's talking about all the things that God has done in the wilderness for them, how he provided bread and water from the rock, and all the things that the, he talked about, the trials in the wilderness, the snakes, and all these other things. And he said this to them, he did these things to prove you. To see that if you were brought into the land of promise, whether you would be faithful or not. He did these things to prove you. I had a horse named Montana one time. And uh, I was probably 17 years old when I brought him. And it was a fire sale. I, I saw the horse, it was a beautiful buckskin, just beautiful. And I got on the horse's back, and the guy says, this horse came from Montana. That's why they call him Montana. And they trained him to neck rein beautifully. He was a cutting horse. Well, the one thing they never trained him to do was to stop. He, could, he would do everything else but stop. Once you got him running... You had a hard time. You could pull on his ears, twist his ears, do whatever you want to try to get him to stop. He would not stop. He was a danger. And I, I remember one time, I knew that this horse could beat any horse. And you know, anybody know what a barrel race is? I knew this horse, because he neck reins so well, would beat any horse that came. And so... But I, I knew I would have a problem because he wouldn't stop when we got done. So off we went, and I thought, it's worth it. I cut those barrels. That horse was leaning. I could almost touch the ground with my hand. And I could hear the announcer saying, he's got a great time. He's going. He's going. He's going. He's going. <laughs> ran right out to fairgrounds, just never stopped. But I didn't prove him. I, I knew what he was going to do. And it was an embarrassment. But God is proving us to teach us that, yes, you may have one talent that you excel in. You might be talented in one area, but there may be another area that cancels that talent out because you can't control it. So he's going to sit you down in situations where he's going to make you learn to stop. Because if you don't stop, even though you can neck rein rail, you're just a piece of horse flesh ready for the grill. Because you're going to kill somebody someday. So that's where I'm going to stop today. God is so good. That's why the Bible says, and I know I quote this verse a lot, think it not strange the fiery trial of your faith as though some strange thing happened. And don't, he says it's not strange. I sent it there. 
And if I brought you into the fiery furnace and you're in the furnace and it's hot there, guess what? I'm there with you. And that's all you need to know. And that furnace is not going to consume you. You might get a little warm when they toss you in, but rest assured that I'm going to be with you through the entire event. And then when we get done and I bring you out and you come forth as gold, you watch and see how much glory I get. Not you, but I get. And that's what it's all about. Please stand with me. No trials of any fun uh, when you're going through it. But it has a lot of benefits when it's over. Lord Jesus, tonight I'm so thankful, Lord, for your word. Your word provides a foundation for my faith and hope. And I know, Lord Jesus, some people are not relating what I'm saying to, to what I'm saying tonight because their view from their window is probably pretty good at this moment. But tomorrow, Lord, they may be in a different room and they may have a different view. But I pray that we would remember that it's, no, it's not so much important as our view as our purpose and our destiny. And I just give you the praise this night. Touch every heart. This altar is open if you'd like to come and praise for a while. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.